I have never heard of this Starfleet. I am a captain in the United Earth Fleet. And you are a guest, an intruder, really, on my ship. I need you to hand that over. My science officer and chief engineer will study it and report it back to UEF command. No. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me in Toronto, <laughs> this is Tyler Orton ordering my subordinate Cam to eat a hot dog. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Strange New Worlds, episode three of season two, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I'll cut it there. Cam, why didn't they just call this episode Edge of Tomorrow Part 2? Mm, I mean, the whole thing with Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise film, in case those people oh, sorry. don't remember. But <laughs> yeah, Edge of Tomorrow, the whole thing was the movie didn't do well in theaters. And so they were like, we should have just called it Live, Die, Ret uh, Repeat. So maybe that's why they didn't go with that title. They didn't want to fall into the same you know, quagmire of unpopularity that Edge of Tomorrow did at the box office. You know what? I am a terrible Star Trek podcaster. I meant to say City on the Edge of Forever in this situation. <laughs> and I now apologize for giving an extended explanation <laughs> as the popularity at the box office of Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, like, there are moments that I genuinely liked. There are even Paul Wesley moments that I genuinely yeah. liked in this episode. But this episode seemed kind of like the a, a cynical effort to tap into, uh, you know, city on the edge of forever sort of love instead of trying to do their own sort of thing with strange new worlds. I just like th this watching this one. I, I just kind of got like annoyed and annoyed and annoyed as this went on. And there, and look, there, ugh, look, we could nitpick this one to death, mm -hmm. but I think there are broader, like kind of broader storytelling issues to get into. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of giving this one like, I hate to see it. Like I gave last week a bit of a thumbs down, like like kind of a tentative thumbs down. I thought it was fine. I did not think it was as amazing as a lot of the other fans seem to. Um, yeah, I'm giving this one a thumbs down. Um, I I like the f season premiere. A lot of fans did not. I'm just wondering if season two of Strange New Worlds is off to a bit more of a mixed start than I was expecting. I. Just wonder if maybe the creators kind of learned some of the wrong lessons from the first season. If, you know, from what we hear, they thought that uh, the Elysian Kingdom was one of the uh, high points of season one. And they kind of want to make things a little bit goofier, a little bit looser. And this one, I don't know, can, can, were there any moments that like genuinely made you laugh when they were like asking for laughs? Like... What is a meme? <laughs> no, I didn't laugh. Poutine has gravy. Wow. I didn't laugh uh, very often at this one. And I just want to note, you know, you were mentioning the Elysian Kingdom. Uh, this was directed by Amanda Rao, 
uh, or Roe, I'm not sure, who directed the Elysian Kingdom. So there's some connectivity there. And writer Onitra Johnston, um, or Johnson, co-wrote the Elysian Kingdom as well. So there's some real Elysian Kingdom energy going on in this episode. There's also some energy about Cam (laughs) mispronouncing everyone's name. (laughs) No kidding. My goodness. Um, This is one, like, I have it, like, all the information off to the far left, and I'm kind of, like, trying to look with one eye while Mm -hmm. maintaining my composure in front of the microphone. So, yes. Um, But this one, to me, Anson Mountain, we saw him at the convention, talked in Vancouver, talked about, like, the swings they were taking with season two. This episode felt like a swing for me. And that, like, throughout most of the episode, this to me didn't really even feel like I was watching an episode of Star Trek. It had elements of Star Trek. Of course, it's recognizable as such. But, like, it felt almost like a mini movie or something like that. Like, it didn't feel like it connected to the show in the same way. Even something like, I think of the episode 1159 from Voyager with the Millennium Gate. Sure. Uh, and Janeway's Ancestor. Um, that episode, it doesn't feature your usual characters for the most part, but it does feel like you're watching an episode of Voyager. This didn't really feel to me like watching an episode of Strange New Worlds. It kind of had its own, almost like romantic comedy energy going on it in places. Camp- the characters, hmm? it, it felt like the CW, didn't it? At, in the worst of times, yes. In the best of times, it was, I think, aiming for something a little better. Um, but... It was for me an episode where, you know, you said you kind of got angrier and angrier. I just kept like swinging like a pendulum on this one where I'd be like, oh, I really like what they're doing here. And then it would swing to something where I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is uh, very poor. And when you talk about CW stuff, to me, that applies to the whole conspiracy and the fact that the person uh, responsible for everything was the only human being we'd met in the episode outside of our two leads. (laughs) Don't forget the cops. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. I I don't know. Like, like. Let me break it down here. Sitting on the Edge of Forever, uh, one of the most revered Star Trek episodes of all time. We've got a uh, main cast member go back in time. uh, And in the original series, that main cast member was one James T. Kirk. Mm. And in order to preserve the timeline, uh, Kirk had to accept the fact that somebody that he had fallen for inevitably had to die. And yeah. there was just so many echoes of one of the most revered, you know, Star Trek episodes. And it just, to me, it just like, ooh, they're hitting the cynical button nonstop here. Like, and, and I mean cynical as in like cynical writing, let's just try to shove member berries down the throats of our viewers. And I, it, like, that was the stuff, it, it's a storytelling stuff. And, and so often it just rang false. I say that there were genuine moments that rang true to me in which, you know, Mm -hmm. you have the Department of Temporal Investigations. They come and at the very end and they say to La'an, you know, look, you can't tell anybody what happened. And I I, it it was a genuinely great moment where she's like, "Um, I killed a woman and I watched this man that I was falling for die in my arms and i mm-hmm. can't say anything about that and i thought like look i thought christina chong gave like a great performance in this one yeah you know so there are definitely moments that i like but like this episode just irked me it just 
the the comedy stuff never found it funny I, the, <laughs> commander uh Pelia, i'm like what are you doing with this character <laughs> i like going into the season premiere i i, I was like hey i'm gonna give this character some rope uh, i i did so for the first like 85 percent and then started to grate a little I, I i just like there's so much we'll dive into it but there's just so much that did not work for me even like the fact isn't it just weird that they're like saying like oh yeah this uh this episode takes place in toronto like just just go with that. I'm like, uh, <laughs> it, this is the most Canadian exposure we've gotten from a uh, series that, uh, if you like at Discovery, Strange New Worlds, it's uh, produced in Canada. Lower Decks is produced in Canada as well. We've had Shatner, Jimmy Doohan, Nicole DeBoer, all these main actors that are Canadian, and I yeah. think we've never had more Canadian content. Then in this episode, and we're like, oh yeah, we get shoutouts to poutine and how you know it's cold, and uh, what oh yeah, people are very polite, and also Cam, <laughs> this is a city in an in a area once known as Canada. <laughs> like, what happened to Canada? <laughs> like, yeah, tell me that yeah, story. Like, yeah, what it's... happened? <laughs> so I don't know. Look, this one did not work for me. I'm like, I, I like, I like Strange New Worlds, but so far the 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 start of the season's been very mixed for me. I mean, I still am very positive, I think, on the first two. And this one, there's elements of it that I really did enjoy. I, I thought that, like, Christina Chong was fantastic in this episode. And Laon is a character who really took me by surprise in the first season and that I expected to be my least favorite character of the season going in and turned out to be one of the best. And the continued development of this character and her grappling with her, uh, you know, an uh, ancestry, I thought was pretty well conveyed. For this relationship that you and I were just discussing a couple weeks ago, was this earned, like, to make her a descendant of Khan? Like, I'm not sure it's still been earned, but at least they are treating it seriously. And when you have an emotional moment of her at the end, just, like, crying on her bed, I'm like, this is not a scene I ever expected to get from this character. This show is taking their characters to interesting kind of emotional places. And... I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely bowled over that there was a number of scenes in this episode of kind of this rom-com pairing of her and alternate timeline Kirk part two that actually worked. Like, okay. Some of the awkward flirting, though. Yeah. Did not quite work for me. Like, how much, okay. How much chemistry did you get? Like, I, I feel mixed. Like, moments it seemed as if they did have chemistry and other stuff. I was just like, ooh, like... Like, this is just, like, bad, like, like, the uh, Star Trek writer never got a date in high school, you know, stuff like, uh, like, Kirk saying, that hot dog saved your life. It's <laughs> like... Cross like, that line off my uh, list, okay. <laughs> uh, do you know the best line is, if you're ever at a bar camp? Mm. Go up to somebody and say, hey, my name is Microsoft. Can I crash at your place tonight? Oh, that's that's good. Works every time. <laughs> Kirk should have done that. That one in in place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't. And then like Kirk just like giving these blank stares to like literary references, and then doing like the finger guns. Gotcha. I'm actually smart. <laughs> also, the thing that also didn't work is like so we know like Kirk was actually kind of like more of the bookworm back in the academy, 
He's a very smart yeah. guy. We know he look, look how good he is at moron chess or idiot's version of yeah. chess, as uh, he was calling it. Kirk is a really smart guy. Uh, another thing that annoyed me was like, what's a meme? Um, okay, so like <laughs> a meme, like, like before it got like this big internet thing. It, it's actually like a like common terminology used in like biology. Um, Kirk should know what a meme is. You know, like three hundred years in the future. It, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a bio like a biological thing yeah and so like that like that sort of stuff didn't work for me because maybe the writers don't actually know that it's related to biology not just the internet like yikes mm-hmm. so i don't know and, and also just like lame lines like uh you know duck duck go and it's like how many people got that reference to duck duck go <laughs> it's like i don't know like, like camp also i i will say this i'm gonna praise the uh, casting people for hiring like that uh identical twin to um benedict cumberbatch to uh <laughs> play con <laughs> bravo people um do you want to dive into the, like the, like the romulan time travel agent trying to wave away all the inconsistencies with the timeline and trying to explain why even the year 2023, this is going on, despite the fact this is supposed to happen in 1992. That annoyed me. Like, because they were trying to wave it away rather. Yeah. Like, why not just set this? Like, if you're doing the timeline correctly, would not Khan ha- have been born in, like, a 19... late 50s, early 60s? Um, I would think maybe a little bit later, but yeah, yeah. Because, like, eugenics wars were, like, the early to mid-90s, right? Yeah, he could have been in his late 20s or early 30s. But then it's not impossible, I suppose. It, it seems as if they're kind of combining, like, based on how his age right now. And, okay, wasn't the... See, this is why I'm getting angry thinking about it. Was the Third World War, <laughs> was it not in the, the 2030s? Uh, I think that is correct, yeah. And so Khan is, what, seven when we meet him here in the year 2023? I can't gauge kids' ages, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. So, are the eugenics wars and, and, and the Third World War, are they now being combined into one thing at this point in, like, whatever revised timeline we're talking about? So, World War Three, uh, according to Memory Alpha, was 2026 that kicked off. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I'm going to pull up the eugenics wars next. But, yeah, so that's that one. Um, eugenics wars were, like, it was... Like the nineties, yeah, that's right. Ninety two and ni- ninety two to ninety six. Yeah, and so so Khan <laughs> is like because remember okay, okay, I don't want to get hung up on the nitpicky stuff, but I can't help it because they it's just all this hand waving is what annoys me because the thing is the writers didn't have to go down this path. Yeah, like they could have set this episode decades earlier, but they didn't because they wanted to make it contemporary. For whatever reason, you know, but like yeah, partly budget, I'm sure. Sure, but then why? Then does this demand that you bring Khan into it? Well, you make the argument yes because it's Laan trying to reconcile yeah. her Noonien Singh, not Soong, but Noonien Singh. Yeah, like heritage into this one. It's just like. It feels as if this episode fell into so many avoidable traps that just weren't necessary. You know, I'm sure there's like 99% of fans aren't 
really going to be paying attention to the timelines of eugenics wars versus the third world war mm. but so like i don't know like 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 i'm struggling with making sense of this one um like a total star trek nerd should you know and, and but it goes beyond like these kinds of nitpicks it, it, there's some like storytelling stuff that just doesn't work for me overall well it the con thing, the whole idea of like yeah, 1992 and the eugenics wars, now that seems very goofy. And it is unfortunate that when they first mentioned this in 1966, 67, whichever one it was, um, that they didn't just like push it far off. Uh, like 92 is a little too, <laughs> a little too close to the 60s. They should have like picked like, I don't know, 2100 or something like that. Um, that's like kind of the safe gap there. But uh, they are not the only um you know popular franchise to make a mistake in terms of predicting an event that's going to fall very soon in the timeline kind of like terminator and judgment day landing uh, a little too close to when those movies come well, out they, they, cam these are alternate timelines like this is not they real are life. alternate timelines. this is not real but life. like yeah that's true but it's like i i feel like there is this need now to explain things when i agree they should have just just run with it it's like you know I, I think of the character like nick fury or the punisher actually in marvel comics were like characters that came out of world war ii and vietnam and at a certain point those characters would start to get real old in the comics so they start to revise them and go oh no no you know they were from like the afghanistan war and what have you and it's like there's ways around this to just bump things up and no one really cares i think like star trek should have just done that and not been so specific about like oh yeah the 90s that that's no 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 like they should have just like make a choice stick to it and just do it with minimum fuss well okay so like the big argument back in uh when um what was the voyager episode when they time traveled to uh la in the 1990s was that future tense uh i think it's future's end future's end okay so the argument there is like okay well we're not witnessing the eugenics war right now in la but they like Fans at least explained it in their heads, head candidate, and I thought it was like very like reasonable. It was like, well, it was more of a um, kind of a regional sort of like war contained to like say South Asia or maybe Hmm. South Asia, East Asia. And I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But now, for whatever reason, they're bumping up the timeline. Okay, okay, this this is what's bugging me even more. Okay, <laughs> remember the, the season two finale of Star Trek Picard? And at the very end, you have Dr. Sung. He huh. grabs this folder, and what does it say? It says, like, like Project Khan. And, and, right. And, but this is year 2024. So it's not like yeah. he created the Khan-like creation that we see in this episode. It came before that. And so it's like, like the thing is, like, when when you scratch below the surface and you can't make heads or tails or anything and they just try to hand wave like all these other disruptions going on the timeline oh by the way cam i thought about 20 years ago the um temporal cold war had been resolved in uh, stormfront parts one and two nope yeah they're bringing back the temporal cold war baby i was like uh, okay <laughs> like sure like, I don't know, like, to me, this episode had, like, too much that just rattled me for me to sit back. 
Although, although you know, I I can say that I I I did sit back and, and like when when Laon sent that message and was able to be in contact with Lieutenant Kirk in the present day, I, mm-hmm. I like I thought that was a wonderful scene. I I, I genuinely bought it. But there was just so much other stuff that came before it. You know whether. I don't know. Actually, you know, I did find it funny when like they both came out dressed exactly the same inside of like yeah. the the roots changing room. I was like, that was a gag that worked for me, you know. But like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel you like this one more than I did, though. I think that I'm very mixed on it okay. because it was an episode I found frustrating. Like when it came to all of the conspiracy stuff and you know Sarah the activist, I was like, this is bad. Like having that character, like the way she just kept popping up, was like, why? Why is this the only character? with any personality playing a role in this episode and the the reveal that she was a Romulan. And then you get that horribly shot fight, uh, you know, outside Khan's bedroom, <laughs> a sentence I never thought I'd say. Um, like that was just like, this is, you know, as you were saying, kind of that CW quality stuff where it's like, this show is better than this. And that's something I talked about last week, how, when I was watching, you know, a courtroom episode i was like this show is just visually really well assembled and a very like a refreshing change of pace from my days of the marvel tv shows <laughs> and then i watched this one and i'm like stuff like this feels very junky to me uh all of the romulan conspiracy stuff just felt to me like i would have preferred almost just like some sort of like high concept we're stuck in time we need to get out of it let's spend time with two attractive people who are giving each other the eyes like that is more appealing to me because like you were saying you know do you think these two had chemistry there was definitely points where i was like i don't know that these two have chemistry but then there would be a moment where they did and i'd go oh like this actually does kind of work like this pairing is interesting enough where it felt like something I would like to see explored over more episodes. I think it did a good enough job of working towards the emotional moment of her crying on her bed at the end, but it just felt like an episode where it was like giving me things I liked and then giving me things that were very jarring. Very Like in the same way that the Elysian Kingdom was incredibly jarring for me as a Star Trek fan, this episode had moments where I was just like, what, what show am I watching? I've forgotten for a second. My name is La'an Noonien Singh. What? You don't recognize that name? It's very famous or infamous. <laughs> um, did Kirk in Space Seed think that it was like, like he was some famous, like person or infamous person from like the 20th century? Was that what you gathered? Because they literally needed like. Or maybe it's just an art historian, but some sort of historian to provide a little context in Space Seed. Um, and this, again, brings up yet another problem. Why doesn't Kirk recognize the last name like Noonien Singh when we get to Space Seed <laughs> after uh, some <laughs> Enterprise security chief sends him a message uh, looking to verify information about his brother? <laughs> That 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 exchange doesn't stick with him, you know, maybe like seven, eight years in the future. I don't know. Well, uh, I feel like Kirk may have gotten a few calls like this, but... Uh... You know what? <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> um, so perhaps not, but it is the sort of thing that, as I was saying, like they haven't justified yet for me the con thing, but I, I can at least appreciate that they haven't just like made it a surface level detail. They've actually 
bothered trying to examine it in a way. And I feel like the writers of this episode, someone was just like pondering that whole, you know, the classic, if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you? And was like, wait a second. <laughs> what if we did that, but with Khan? And you have this character, Lon, who's perfect to fill that position of going on this journey. But it felt like that was the kind of the uh, the kernel of where this idea entirely originated from. Stop me if I'm getting things wrong. Okay. That bridge, which, okay, when I was watching the episode, like, I, I have not been in Toronto for, like, decades. But when I saw yeah. that bridge, I was like, wow. I How did I not know about that bridge? That looks beautiful. And then, like, and there was the news story up on the uh, the billboard, and I was like, "Have I missed news stories about a bridge that were going on at this time?" <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't feel like a total idiot when they blew it up. So, okay, that was kind of an attack that was supposed to take place in either timeline. That's like Alt Kirk and Prime Laon were in, but yeah. wasn't there like a cold reactor attack? That was supposed to take place in, in Toronto as well in both of those timelines? Yes, there was. Uh, I don't think the the reactor one happened in both timelines, right? Like that didn't happen in. Oh boy, my mind is turning to spaghetti. Because um, I think that was the anomaly, that one, that they had to stop, right? The explosion of the reactor. Yeah, the reactor only happened in in one timeline versus the um the bridge was in both. Okay. I'm I'm just I'm still trying to wrap my my head around. Like I also like how the idea the Romulans had wipe out Toronto. <laughs> that will prevent you know, our greatest enemy from rising. And I was like, you know, like, I, I, like, like nobody outside of Toronto likes Toronto. Like, we're, we're saying this as fellow Canadians. Um, the Maple Leafs suck. Um, every, every Torontonian thinks it's the center of the universe. Um, you know, whatever, whatever. So it, maybe that's funny. But, like, I, I don't know. It's just kind of like, what I go back to is an episode like, um, uh, past tense parts one and two with the bell riots. I remember when they established like um, if the bell riots had never occurred, the Federation would never have been like established. And there was a reference to like this, like one Romulan probe, like sending signals out. And that's what the defiant in present day in this altered timeline could pick up on. So I don't mm -hmm. know if it's the bell riots that <laughs> could have like, like this is what this is why like the Star Trek time travel stuff gets just so convoluted because the Romulans had done all these simulations about like how if they killed Khan in Toronto, I again I never knew that Khan was raised in Toronto. <laughs> is he Canadian? <laughs> no, he's Canadian. <laughs> I had never thought about that. You know, I didn't even think about that when the episode had ended that Khan was Canadian. But now I'm like, wait. What? <laughs> it's a very multicultural uh, country, so, yeah. It's true. Yeah. Is this the most power given to Canada in any American franchise in film <laughs> or TV history? Uh, no, uh, Cam. Uh, have you ever seen Ballist uh, Ballistic X versus Sever? Uh, that's an excellent point. You're right. You're right. You know, uh -oh. Antonio Banderas versus uh, Lucy Liu 
Uh, the entire film took place in uh, Vancouver, you know, uh, back, what yeah. was this, like 2002, 2003? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, Ray Park uh, was the villain in that movie from uh, Phantom Menace. I was very excited at the time. <laughs> then I saw the movie. <laughs> this is definitely the most uh, exposure uh, we've gotten outside of like a uh, David Cronenberg movie, I would say. Sure. Uh, also, I guess you and I, we saw Blackberry, the film, uh, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. which, uh, like, it's an American film, but it takes place entirely in Canada, and uh, yeah. that, that was, like, a fantastic, uh, uh, like, I, I also thought it was, like, kind of a, uh, like, a a realistic, good depiction of Canada, and, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, Jim Balsilli, the, uh, one of the main characters, uh, based on, like, a, a CEO of blackberry he kept calling people goofs which like it might not sound like bad in other countries but in canada calling somebody a goof is actually like like pretty bad like compared with other countries so i don't know i i i was hoping for a blackberry like crossover adventure with like (laughs) um like captain kirk and uh laon at, at some point but um uh yeah i don't know well, I mean, now that this has given us the promise to Star Trek Canadian content, who knows? You know, Elysian Kingdom, outside of this podcast, was apparently a revered fan favorite that is going to change the shape sure. of Star Trek on sure. TV. So uh, maybe the adventures in Toronto on this episode will also gain the same level of fanfare and we will have a future of Star Trek Canadian content to come. <laughs> we did get the USS Vancouver in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. So there's that. Yep. We also had uh, Commander Eddington in Deep Space Nine. He was established as a Canadian and he wanted his lucky loony. I remember him <laughs> in that runabout scene. Um, yeah. But as far as Canada goes, yeah, it's uh, cold weather, poutine, politeness, and one uh, Sam LaBelle mistaking Riker for a Canadian and Riker being incredibly offended. Uh, I was going to mention that moment. Yes. Um, uh, I I did uh, notice, though, that they brought some American cars ripping through the streets (laughs) straight from the streets of L.A. of Star Trek Picard to Toronto here in this episode and uh, shot just as well. (laughs) Uh, Were you bummed out that, you know, instead of the Beastie Boys playing Sabotage, it was like this Black Lips song that was playing instead on... uh... (laughs) <laughs> that really yeah. boring car chase sequence. That uh, song choice did nothing for me whatsoever. But like most car chases are shot at a much slower speed than what you see on the big screen right. or on your TV. This was a case where they did not hide the illusion. <laughs> <laughs> there was points where I was like, these cars are going quite slow at the moment. <laughs> um, okay, okay. Why don't we try to, like, delve through the story of this episode, though? You know. Yeah. Laon is approached by some sort of temporal agent, pushes a button, ends up in an alternate timeline. Um, dumb United Earth Fleet Kirk yep. tries to, like, get that device, and they get sent back in time to present-day Toronto. And in that situation, they eventually figure out there is some sort of attack they have to avert. And some Romulan agent with a handgun 
you know, you know, Cam, yeah, handguns are just all over the place in, in, in uh, Canada. Um, ends up, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's true. I think that's something they don't quite understand. <laughs> um, also, there's also an excursion um, down to Vermont and then back up to Canada. Yeah. And they don't have passports, but they're able to convince border guards in the year 2023 <laughs> going each way <laughs> to let them through. Which, Cam? <laughs> Dirty secret, people. Um, Canadians are known to be very friendly and approachable. Mm, somewhat, maybe, but not necessarily all true. But when you come to Canadian uh, border guards, in my experience, not the friendliest. Not the friendliest at all. <laughs> They're the biggest jerks I've ever encountered. Like, the American border guards are usually pretty cool. Yeah. It's the Canadian border guards coming back into Canada. I'm like, wow, uh... Okay, I I did not realize I like somehow my family lineage started a, a feud and you want to step on my throat. <laughs> um, oh, I remember. Okay, once, <laughs> I, I uh, uh like uh, a former partner and I we had uh, spent like a couple days down in Seattle and we came back and and bought like uh all this beer, uh, like craft beer you could only get down in like Washington State. And we went up to our limit about what she could bring back in terms of alcohol. And the Canadian border guard, she's like, are you bringing back alcohol? I was like, yes. How much? Six six six-packs. What does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, "Um, I don't know, six times six, 36 bottles of beer? (laughs) And then she just gave me the biggest look of disgust. And the thing is, you have to be nice to them or else they could haul you off to secondary inspection. I'm just like, Cam, you know me in real life. Am I ever polite to people that are like, like impolite to us? Well, Cam, you and I were walking down the street a couple weeks ago. Oh, yes. And like some guy was like, he started yelling at us for not giving him like uh, tons of bills. And yeah. um, I, I did not respond in the way you should. I Instead of just ignoring it, <laughs> I, I engaged and I apologized to you afterwards. It's like, but border guards, Cam, there's no border guard <laughs> letting La'on and James Kirk over, like, back into Canada from Vermont. No way. I remember when I was younger, I was coming back with my friend Human. I think we got to a concert and we were coming back through the border. It's probably like 11 o'clock at night. And they uh, were like, okay, uh, you got to leave the car. We're going to inspect the car. It's like, uh, okay, fine, sure. And it was like, uh, I think we just told, I think we even showed them the concert tickets because those are the days of like even physical yeah. tickets. It's like, here they are. Um, and they were like, well, come inside. We want to inspect the two of you. And they put us in separate rooms. And I just remember they came into me and they were not nice. Like it was quite intimidating. But they were like, so your friend. That's quite the jacket he's got, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I guess I hadn't really noticed. And they're like, yeah, where do I get a jacket like that? And I was like, I don't know. And they said, where did he get that jacket? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, maybe for Christmas or something? I, I have no idea. <laughs> And I mean, I was definitely more nervous than I'm coming across reciting it, but I was basically saying the exact same thing I'm saying now. And I was just like more baffled by their line of questioning than anything. (laughs) I guess, you know, I realized after walking out that they were trying to see if he'd 
bought the jacket in the U.S. and was smuggling it across. Uh, but that is not what I was thinking in that moment. Right. I was yeah. more just baffled as to why they wanted to know so much about his jacket. <laughs> uh, it was weird. Never come to weird. Canada, people. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, what the USS Iowa? Um, was that too cute by half? Um, well, I thought this was interesting because it actually shot down a lot of the nitpickers who saw the trailer for this, uh, well, for the season two of Strange New Worlds, and they had moments of Kirk saying, you know, I was, I, I'm from space, and then here you had the USS Iowa, so it was like, oh, okay, that's not prime Kirk we were seeing in those commercials, so all those nitpicks now are invalid. But I thought this was kind of a fun little fake out because we all know that element of Kirk, so to put a little spin on it, uh, spin on it, I was okay with it. Does it bug you that we've had two appearances of Kirk so far, and in both yeah. situations they've been alternate timelines, save for that one moment with Laon at the very end when she's talking to Lieutenant Kirk, who I assume still serving on the Farragut at this point? It does. And it's, I think, entirely because of the fact, say Chris Pine was playing Kirk on Strange New Worlds, I don't know that it would bother me. But I think because I don't know Paul Wesley Prime Kirk at all, really, other than that little snippet we got at the end of this episode, that giving me two alt-timeline Kirks is preventing me from understanding who this Kirk is. Yeah. And I'll say this much, like, Paul Wesley's performance clicked more with me this time in a charismatic way but in a kirk way no i still spent the majority of this episode like squinting going is this kirk it doesn't seem like kirk he doesn't talk like kirk he doesn't do anything like kirk but they keep telling me it's kirk i know i know so kim okay the moment that like stuck up most to me was when they're in that like (laughs) um incredibly expensive like condo that <laughs> how much, how much chess? did that cost how well, much do they think canadian money is worth <laughs> like they weren't winning chess in american dollars right <laughs> like, um, they were getting fives <laughs> i know like fives and tens and twenties toonies <laughs> like, <laughs> but like uh, like but he like wait the moment where like paul wesley clerk where it's like, why do you want to do that when there's a little tiny bar to go through? This is at nine in the morning. Like, Kirk never struck me as like a lush. And it's like, that just never seemed like a Kirk line that he would ever deliver. And it just like, there are moments where like, oh, like he's definitely got the mannerisms. And like, there's angles where like, he's definitely got the look. Yeah. But he never had the swagger or the spirit that Chris Pine had when he was emulating Shatner and I don't think anybody ever wants to like imitate Shatner and and like Paul Wesley was not imitating Shatner like Chris Pine was never imitating Shatner but it, it's about like tapping into the spirit of Kirk and I just yeah I don't feel like Paul Wesley did that at any point here and I would just even be looking at reactions or the way he looked at Lon and I'm like none of this <laughs> strikes me as the way like Kirk would look at someone or react to someone. And I'm sure that the uh, showrunners can throw out the, well, this is an alt timeline, Kirk, still. I'm like, yeah, yeah, BS, enough with that crap. Yeah. <laughs> Stop telling me that. You've given me these two pro- uh, alt timeline Kirks as my only evidence of how Paul Wesley is as Captain Kirk, so I got to work with what I have. But it's just like the interactions don't feel right. 
when I see Kirk talk to other people in the original series, he has almost that like politician's ability to make someone feel like the center of the universe when he talks to them. And you see it in so many scenes where Kirk talks to people. And it's something you can see, you know, certain celebrities can do. I remember I met Dr. Jane Goodall uh, many years ago when I worked in live TV. She could do that. It was unbelievable. It was kind of eerie, actually. Um, And I just don't get any of that from Paul Wesley. He seems like some dude, a likable dude, but just a dude who, you know, is teaming up with Lon here. Like, people might want to bag on William Shatner, but he does have a star quality. There's a reason why this 93-year-old man is still relevant nowadays, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it just, in another universe, he could have been, like, a legit, like, A-level movie star if just certain career paths had gone another direction. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to measure up. Chris Pine, I think, has successfully measured up to that and you know yeah i just and this is kind of what bugs me is like you always hear those stories about like maybe so and so was cast in a role based on like the number of followers they have on social media i don't want to say it's very common now yeah, yeah. i don't want to say that's the same thing with paul wesley but i i'm not saying it did not play a part i don't know like maybe it did maybe it did well i i just wonder like i know he was very very popular on the vampire diaries show and so it's like they're they're looking at casting a Kirk. And I think generally now when you're looking at a Kirk, you want someone who feels like a movie star kind of walking in. And they're also not going to cast a, like, you know, A-list movie star to show up on Strange New Worlds. So they looked at someone who had star quality on another show and would feel like the star of one show walking to another. And it just hasn't translated to the specific character of Captain Kirk. It just feels like if I was like casting like a new Jean-Luc Picard and I just like cast just, I don't know, some random dude. And I was like, there you go. There's Picard. (laughs) And you'd be like, I mean, he has a slight resemblance, but he doesn't behave like Jean-Luc Picard. I'm like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) They cast Tom Hardy as a Picard clone. Yeah. That's like ding, ding, ding. You know, yeah, sure. You got it there. Or or McAvoy. I mean, it's not Picard, but McAvoy in terms of you know a Patrick Stewart uh, character for Professor X. Just like a spirit, just kind of a spirit yeah. that they can tap into. You know, should they have cast Jeremy Strong as Captain Kirk this season? Maybe <laughs> that would have been amazing. He would have thrown his all into this role. I don't want to like besmirch Paul Wesley, who I think had a very, very, very difficult assignment. But when it comes to film or TV, they always say, like, if you cast appropriately, a director's job gets a lot easier. And I just wonder, did they cast appropriately? Like, maybe Paul Wesley, in another role on this show, would be an absolute home run and we'd be singing his praises. But in terms of Kirk, I'm just left scratching my head. I guess the plus side is I'm not annoyed. I'm not angry about the performance. Okay, we've talked about this before. I think they mixed up the casting of Sam Kirk and James Kirk here. And like, I think the actor who played Sam Kirk had just so much more charisma and kind of like a certain like kind of like edge to him, you know, and and like a similar look. Because obviously they wanted somebody that kind of looked like Shatner playing the Sam Kirk role. Yeah. 
but like obviously I like I, I can't remember the actor's name and you know he doesn't have that social media presence so it's just like if they cast Paul Wesley and gave him a mustache which I don't I think would be beneath that actor who has such like kind of a following <laughs> you know yeah. and one thing I will praise about this episode though is like you can go along like with these two characters as they go through this kind of arbitrary mission and I think you know, Alt Kirk is bringing up some good points. It's like, well, if we complete this mission, then all the people I care about are kind of wiped out. Mm-hmm. But then Lawn brings up, you know, uh, in her timeline, you know, Sam Kirk. And we give like some real motivation to Jim in this situation. He's yeah. Like, oh, my brother, he's alive in your time. Like, I felt, I felt that was like a genuine like moment there that I totally bought. And like I was like, yes, good on you, writers here. Like, like I, I, I love it when my characters have like genuine motivation there, and I, I, I felt that moment totally rang true. Yeah, the concept of that being his motivation was fantastic, and I thought that the way that Paul Wesley played that moment was very effective. Like, it was a, you know, emotional response to what she'd said, but it wasn't like an over the top one. It just worked really well for the character. I feel so weird in that, like, I have a lot to compliment Paul Wesley in kind of the uh, most improved award for this episode in comparison to his first one in terms of performance. It's just like, it's the Kirk factor. It's not the actor giving a performance and pulling off emotional moments issue for me. Yeah, I just, overall, I just, I, I don't think this episode quite gelled. And I think that's what I'm ultimately irked by. Um, So, okay, I guess this is our, this is our first Ethan Peck, Paul Wesley, one-on-one. There there wasn't anything in Quality of Mercy, was there? Um, I don't think so, no. Because... No. It, it's like, like, Spock was not involved with, like, the Romulan stuff going on in Quality of Mercy, was he? Or was he? Uh, well, he, yeah, because he, um, was the one who was, like, horribly injured by the impact of that alternate timeline. Um, so he was the one, like, <laughs> laying on the table, like, missing limbs uh, at the end. So he is involved, but my memory was that a lot of the Kirk stuff was either, you know, view screens with Pike or also, um, like, sitting in, like, the uh, the ready room talking to Pike. Yeah, it's like my recollection is more like him interacting with like Sam Kirk, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think this is our first. Okay, I did kind of like it. Like, like Jim was not being a jerk, and mm-hmm. Spock was trying to make kind of the logical case. You know, like, you know, the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I here's the. It, the Romulans continue to be kind of this unrealized potential in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. You know, like, I just, I think that if we ever got season five of Enterprise, you know, in which we follow the Romulan war, I think they would have realized their full potential. Just the way that they're building them up with like, like these kind of Vulcan sleeper agents in season four. Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, and and like the, the stuff that we did get, in the in quality of mercy the season one finale of strange new worlds you know but camp it's just like when other than laris and uh was it siobhan was her husband in uh season one 
we don't mention him anymore. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> like Picard needs a love interest. Yeah, my husband died off screen. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, you know, how come, uh, how come the Romulan time travel agent didn't, she's like, I'm not used to these ears yet. I was like, well, maybe she should have gotten like Talin's like uh, device that uh, <laughs> she used in season two of uh, Picard. Um, it just kind of feels like, I, I kind of hope Strange New Worlds can find a way of like making the Romulans like really cool in, in that like, I think yeah. Picard tried and they didn't quite get there. They made them seem more like losers, like throughout that run. Remember, we were on the refugee planet, and a former senator got decapitated because he wanted to, you know, ha- have like a <laughs> bit of a Donnie Brook with uh, with Picard there, and like, it just didn't work out before. Uh, and, and honestly, let, let's be honest, like like is uh, Elnor really the most badass Romulan you could ever imagine? Like, not so much with me. No, and I mean, the one thing with, like, the original series was they had two really fantastic Romulan episodes in Balance of Terror and the Enterprise incident, but because, like, the Romulan prosthetics were just, like, more cumbersome to deal with, they didn't use them very much on the show, so, like, they probably would have had some really cool Romulan stories were it not as much of a budget issue or just the practicalities of dealing with actors in pointy ears beyond Nimoy, so... The potential's there. Enterprise was building to something very cool with the Andorian arc, especially at the end of the series run. Uh, I, I agree. Like, I think it would be very interesting in this show to just make more of the Romulans because they obviously play such a presence in TNG and uh, DS9 to a degree as well. So let's just do more with them and build that foundation that should have been built from the earlier days. I, I just like, we are a little hooped for that on this show because it is these 10 episode seasons yeah. i mean tyler we are three episodes down we have yet to have a crew episode of this show i know i know uh one of the issues i was uh like anson mount's wife had just delivered a child and so they had to ah kind of like uh so that's why he wasn't in episode one that much i wonder what order they filmed you know episode two versus three you know, yeah. I just I I kind of got the sense that maybe they gave him a couple extra weeks, uh, because from like uh, in season one is very clear that his wife was living with him in Toronto during the filming of that season. Yeah, I think they wanted to give them time to kind of like uh make sure that their newborn child is healthy and get them from California to Ontario. So we haven't seen a lot of Pike so far. No, it is weird, too, because, like, Pike is was just so unbelievably popular coming out of season one that it, it's kind of odd to start the show off with three episodes in a row where he plays a very small role. So uh, hopefully we have a lot of Pike-heavy stuff in the back half, but uh, I do miss but, him. Uh, I'll say that it's a strong enough supporting cast that I'm like, yeah, you can put, like, the burden of an entire episode of Lawn. And I think Christina Chong totally has the chops to pull that off. Yeah. You know, uh, we've got more of an, I would say we got kind of an ensemble episode in episode one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, uh, look, I, look, I, I've kind of been like, uh, complaining about this episode. There's stuff that I liked, you know? Um, Laon's duties include uh, going to Spock with an anonymous noise complaint. 
Uh-huh. And Spock says, I will practice less vigorously. <laughs> that was the biggest laugh of the entire episode for me. And I want to just give props to the writers and to Ethan Peck for getting, giving Spock the two biggest laughs two weeks in a row. Where he had last week with him having the altercation with the other Vulcan at the table in the mess hall. And then this week, just his response to who filed this noise complaint. <laughs> that alone got a huge laugh out of me because i it's just like there's something comedically rich about that concept because you know you we look at the character of spock with so much like dignity and gravitas because not just the character's legacy in the franchise but also just leonard nimoy and so to suddenly have this like younger spock who's getting noise complaints at his quarters is just genius um i did like commander pelia in like the present time or i guess yeah you know 23rd century in which they confront her about all this artwork and she's like well i've got this old cabin in vermont in case there's no money socialist utopia thing turns out to be a fad <laughs> i like that line that, that was pretty funny pelia works best in small doses but here i think they made a bit of a mistake in treating her as gynan from time zero or it's like, this is the one character yeah. we can go to because they are on Earth for this prolonged period of time. And then you get to Pelia. Pelia is not a fount of wisdom character. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an individual I would be going to for assistance at pretty much anything. Uh, and I actually thought that um, perhaps um, that Paul Wesley got the second biggest laugh of the episode for me just when he like turns to Lon. He's like, you let this woman fix my ship? <laughs> And that got a, a, like a laugh out of me. Um, but the Pelia character is when you have Guinan meet up with them in Times Arrow, and she talks about basically, you know, a lot of it is an exposition bomb, but it's delivered with like an integrity that Whoopi Goldberg brings forth. Like there is a sense of it, this being who's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. When I listen to Pelia talk, it's like a wacky cartoon character. Although I did like her line in 2023 where she's like, engineer, I work retail. <laughs> like, that was pretty <laughs> that good. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. So in the next episode or two, does Pelia make some sort of reference to like Lahan saying like, hmm, I think we've met before? I hope so. I mean, I guess if they're going to turn her into like the new Guinan, at least for this season, have her have these kind of past relationships perhaps that she can call upon and now that we've built one yeah i mean because at this point um a lot of the characters have been paired off we've seen you know bonding between various sets of characters i thought it was interesting they had mabenga and um laan together sparring at the start of this episode because that's a dynamic that hasn't really existed previously uh, to this episode he's turning into commando crusher uh, <laughs> he is between episode one with the uh soldier serum and now he's like a sparring partner cam uh he mabenga is the next commando crusher <laughs> treadstone's gonna be after him uh yeah i mean so like i like how they have all these various character dynamics but pelia thus far doesn't have that dynamic with any character so i will be curious to see if lawn is who they use for that okay overall like this is not like like last week, it's not an episode like I disliked. Yeah. It's just an episode I felt very mixed on. I think like Strange New Worlds has one bad episode to me, and that's Elysian Kingdom. And then there's, you know, a number of episodes that just are a little not fully realized. And that's kind of how I feel with this one. 
the deal is like who knows what's gonna happen next week like i haven't watched any um trailers or looked at any like images like publicity photos or anything like that we could be getting anything next week and that's what i look forward to most in star trek where it could be um like it doesn't have to be chasing down a red angel or the burn or anything like that um or <laughs> chasing down um the board queen let loose in like los angeles like you know yeah like uh so like i i'm still pumped for strange new worlds i know i've been mixed the last two weeks i like i don't care i'm still all in on this show i'm still really enjoying it so it's like i don't have an issue even with a show like this that puts out episodes that i don't like because at least they are somewhat interesting to talk about but there was episodes of discovery and picard where they were just like either middling to bad episodes where you just when they were over you're like what is there even really to say like they weren't even interesting to talk about in terms of being unsuccessful episodes whereas i feel like strange new worlds you and i had a lot to say about the elysian kingdom when we tackled that episode (laughs) um we had a fair amount to say about the battery boy episode that we later (laughs) did a bit about turnabout on yeah Um, and an episode like this that i think is interesting but not fully successful there was a lot to uh, note about this one, for sure. At least the hope that I have is, is like, just like the Battery Boy episode from season one. Um, it was so interesting watching that one again and just having such a, like, a reversal on my feelings on, and, like, how much more I liked that episode. And I thought it was actually, like, I remember, okay, season one review, I called it a dud. Watching it back again, I was like, ooh, I actually really do like this episode. So I, I, there's hope for me yet that I'll come around. Yeah. You know, there, there's no episodes like Stormy Weather from season four of Discovery mm-hmm. where I watched it and I was like, I hate this episode. I hate everything that it stands for. <laughs> I know I'll never turn around. There's these Strange New Worlds episodes where I'm just like, okay, maybe I'm a little mixed. Maybe I'll like it a lot more the next time I see it, you know, maybe like a, in a year's time. Yeah, and when this episode is over, even though I don't think it's a home run... I admire, like, Christina Chong's performance. And sometimes there's nothing to take away from a new episode of Bad Star Trek. Like, sometimes there's absolutely nothing. Whereas this episode does have qualities that are worth checking out. So I give it points. I I give it serious points. Like, genuine props to Christina Chong. Like, I I think she sold a lot of moments that maybe a little bit... uh, uh, a, A little thin... In terms of script departments, um, but the thing is, like, mm-hmm. ever since season one, you and I have been very impressed by like how much they've given this character, yeah, and how much like she's hit it out of the ballpark, and she's really kind of made like become kind of a an anchor of the show that we were not really expecting. I also feel like at this point, I am a veteran of watching Star Trek characters cry on screen, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you know why, and um, this episode it felt natural, like it was good direction the way they had yeah. shot that scene, that final moment. It didn't feel melodramatic and over the top. Okay. Well, Cam, <laughs> we'll be back uh, next week with episode four. Oh, I feel like such a jerk because I think they released, didn't they release like every single episode name except for like the season finale? I am looking it up as we speak. I have it right in front okay, of me. say it, sir. It is called Among the Lotus Eaters. Oh, you know what? That's a that's a shout out to Vancouver right there. Uh, Vancouver, uh, one of its nickna- nicknames is Lotus Land. So I will take that. Yeah, maybe this is just going to be Star Trek across Canada for this season. <laughs> Star Trek 
Colon Canada. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Okay. And you can, of course, leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. They are much appreciated. And also, you can find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in Vermont Cabin Smith. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I'm at reporting. That's R E P O R T O N N is in No Money Socialist Utopia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs> Connor's race in Toronto? <laughs> is he Canadian? <laughs> No, he's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs>